Castaway Show with Dave Dolan. Hello, Anza. You're t- tuned in to KOYT, Coyote Radio, 97.1 on the FM. I'm Dave Dolan, and I'm here with the Castaway Fishing Show. I've got my fishing reports, some fishing tips, boating tips, have my usual recipe, and on this show, I have a guest with me. So stay tuned and listen in on this episode of the Castaway Fishing Show. Okay, I'd like to go right into my fish report. It's kind of nice that we had some real winter weather again this last week here in Anza. We sure needed that. It was nice to see snow up in the mountains and getting a little bit of runoff. But I was just up there at Lake Hemet again just um, two days ago, and that water level is still low. I wouldn't look for the uh, launch ramp to be opened up there this season at all, but hopefully they start stalking some trout up there before too long. Looking down on the uh, desert side of us, I did not get a report from Lake Kauia. I do know they had been stalking trout, but being down there in the desert, I wouldn't look for that to go on too much longer with the water warming up. They'll switch over to their uh, catfish mode. Down on the west side of us at Diamond Valley Lake, I get reports there that the bass are going into a pre-spawn mode and starting to move into the shallower water. What really kind of perked them up too is that on February 13th, they had a 3,500 pound stalking of trout. Those bass just love to feed on those trout. So um, the trout fishing is fairly good there. And I would hopefully look forward to another trout plant here in March before they discontinue trout planting. They uh, say some of the best trout fishing is usually right around the marine area. I guess that's where they put them in. Also down on the west side of us, Lake Elsinore, I do know that the uh, cold winter storms that we had really cooled the water there. They had been on a pretty good bite on the uh, crappie, crappie and bass fishing, but it um, seems like that storm and the wind kind of scattered them out, and they're a whole lot deeper right now. Over at Lake Skinner, they're reporting some excellent striped bass fishing. They say that um, these are mainly pan-sized fish, good, they say good taco size. Best way to catch these is trolling flies on lead core. They do see spots of boiling fish, and if you hit them, that's really good on any kind of um, lures. But then if you don't get any visual signs or get them on the troll, it's best to go around by the dam and the inlet, go down deep with your chicken livers or cut bait mackerel, and that seems to land them pretty good too. Got to say that our best trout fishing still remains down in San Diego County. That's because they've been putting in such big trout plants down that way. Lake Wolford just received their third trout plant of the month. During the month of February up until the, well, the end of February, 1st of March, they have put two tons of trout into that lake. They said that um, it slowed up a little bit just this last week with the wind blow. I think that was probably just lighter fishing pressure there. But uh, there's still plenty of fish in that lake. Lake Dixon, down in the lake, um, the Escondido area, they just had their last of three trout stalks on February 21st. Each one of those three plants during the month of February were 1,500 pounds each. They say around the buoy line, Whistler Bay, and the Boat Dock area are some of the best spots to target those trout. Now, if you want to uh, have a little change of scenery on the trout fishing, on March the 3rd, the Southern Sierra trout fishing opened up. You know, the big opener is always that last Saturday in April, but there is an early opener on the 1st of March. That opener, it's just in the very southern part of the Sierras. It's 
Independence, the town of Independence on Highway 395, Independence Creek South on down to uh, Lone Pine and Cottonwood Creek, and it's just west of the Highway 395. They do put uh, trout in there at this time of year, and it is kind of a fun for the early opener. There's also a place called the Sand Pits just out of Lone Pine. It's just a big dugout area on the stream. They put trout in there. It's pretty easy to get them. And also another spot we've caught a lot of trout is called George's Creek, just north, uh, well, just between Lone Pine and Independence. So you got that pretty Sierra scenery up there. And um, I just had a family member of mine came down the Highway 395 after these storms. He said there was snow almost down to the Owens Valley. There's a lot of snow up there finally now in the High Sierras. Now, if we want to change around and look at the uh, saltwater scene out of San Diego, in between the uh, storms and the wind blows, when they can get some boats out, they've had some excellent yellowtail fishing. I know of three boats out of San Diego, the Liberty, the Vendetta, the Mission Bell. They all three of them limited out on yellowtail. These aren't real big ones. They're in a 6 to 12 pound range, but hey, it's just the 1st of March. I'll take that action. So um, that's a good target there. But also on March 1st, we finally had the rockfish openers, so we can catch rockfish in U.S. waters now. We're not restricted just to go down to Mexico. They're uh, pretty much limiting out on rockfish. That's your deep bottom fishing. So between the um, yellowtail and the rockfish, we've got some pretty decent saltwater fishing. But, you know, we did have quite a blowout over the last week, so most of these trips were kind of in between storms. But as the weather flattens out and gets better, I just look for the fishing to improve. There's one uh, note I'd like to put here on the uh, fishing scene. Um, this is kind of on the legal front here. You know, in the state of California, the, we have, a, well, a lot of things go on Sacramento that a lot of us don't agree with. I know we just had that gas tax that passed. It's going to raise the price of gas or vehicle registrations and all. Well, there's now an assembly bill. It's Assembly Bill 2787. This bill would ban lead fishing weights. Now, if you go fishing, can you imagine what that would do? It would destroy our fishing. Now, you say, oh, there's other metals you can use. But to go to something like copper, steel, that would be almost five times more expensive than using the lead that we've always used. Now, there's really no scientific basis for this. I guess lead is just the bad guy. But, you know, with these kinds of things coming up on our fishing... But the extra expense, these restrictions, do you realize that the number of licenses sold in California are down 55% since 1980? So, you know, if you're a little bit political, this is um, Assembly Bill 2787. You may want to let somebody know about it that um, we don't like these restrictions on our fishing. So let's get that behind us and look forward to some really good fishing ahead of us in the coming season. Well, everybody, at the start of the show, I said we had a guest for this episode, and we do. You know, just recently, I uh, was a guest on The Rock Show with John McVoy. Sure had a good time doing that. And after the show was over, John and I got talking some, and uh, John likes fishing. So we thought, well, I was a guest on your show. How about you come on mine? We'll just talk some fishing together. So, so uh, hey, John, good to have you here. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me on. That was a, that was a blast doing the rock show. I enjoyed having you there. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'd, I'd sure like to do another one if you'd like to someday. But, um, yeah, if 
I really enjoyed knowing that you enjoy fishing and thought, well, come on in here. And um, I know when we were talking about it, you've done a lot of things I haven't done. So maybe you can fill me in on a lot of things that I'd like to know about. So um, just tell me a little bit about your background. Where'd you start fishing? Where do you like to go? And just let me know. Well, gosh, Dave, I've been uh, I've been fishing since I was, uh, well, probably before I was walking. But I'm a freshwater guy. Uh, I, I do like uh, to go saltwater fishing, I have gone, but uh, freshwater is my thing. I've been all over Southern California in some different areas, uh, specifically the Lower Colorado River. That's um, my forte. I enjoy the catfishing. Um, I refer to myself as the catfish hunter. I'm always out there looking to beat my record. Oh, record? Well, um, well, what is your biggest catfish? So the largest one I've caught today is 43 pounds. 43, that's huge. Yep, yep. A little over three and a half feet, almost four feet in, in length. Okay. What kind of cat? Was this a blue flathead or channel cat? Channel. Channel cat. Channel. So it, it, was, it was a fight. I can, I can tell you that. Yeah. What pound test were you using to get that? 20. 20. 20 pound yeah. test. Yeah. Uh, that's my standard catfish rig when I go to the river. Okay. Um, it's kind of one of my uh, uh, things. Lower Colorado River without giving away the spot. I actually don't mind giving away the spot. I really don't. But it's just south of Blythe. Okay. Uh, the water warms up a little earlier in the year. Uh, the weather can be a little, you know, drastic the closer you get to um, Southern California and the Mexico border. But uh, I spend my days fishing for my bait. I use bluegill. You know, put a half a night crawler or a mealworm under a bobber and light line it out. And, you know, I catch five or six bluegill and then... Nighttime hits, I uh, switch rigs, and I go to a 2 out hook and a 14-foot pole. And Wait, 14-foot pole, do you have to cast real far, or just what? <laughs> no, I don't have to cast real far. So you, the shoreline is very, a lot of, lot of reeds, a lot of vegetation. Okay. So as I'm reeling them in, they fight, and they run the shoreline. I, uh, I try to keep them out into open waters as I wade out to, mm-hmm. to uh, get them in, and hopefully not get them all snagged up in the weeds okay <laughs> yeah so especially something that big when it runs on you well as you know i'm sure it's similar to saltwater when they run they run uh-huh. you've got to fight on your hands yeah so well i know like in saltwater too you know fishing yellowtail you fish them around rocks they know their neighborhood they know how to you know get down there and they'll break you off in the rocks first sign of trouble that fish is gone they're right. trying to get away uh-huh. yeah so boy that's a huge catfish it, that's a lot bigger than i've ever caught well i do know the, um, the colorado river there now isn't that pretty good for bass fishing too so the colorado river that's the great thing about the colorado river it's very diverse so this particular spot i go to is just south of the cibola uh, wildlife refuge and it has some backwaters that actually goes into the refuge it's only accessible by boat um, but yeah you can fish there's several panfish crappie bluegill um, uh, I've heard rumors of some red-eared perch being caught I'm not caught one myself uh, largemouth bass smallmouth bass striped bass I've done a lot of striped bass fishing and largemouth fishing there in the Cibola wildlife refuge um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's a great spot no matter what you want to go out and fish for. If uh, uh, summertime is a little hot, so it's a little uh, little more brutal, but that is the best catfishing weather, you know, at night. Yeah, so, yeah, some places I find they say the hotter the weather, the hotter the fishing. So you find that to be true out of the Colorado River? Definitely, definitely true. So I usually like to make two or three trips 
during the summer and I'll take one usually May and then I'll probably go back in July or August and then I'll do it again in October. And the fishing in those three seasons is dramatically different. Is that right? I How use the same techniques, yeah. but in May, I may only catch 12 and 15 pounders. Mm -hmm. Where in October, the same thing. You may, you know, 10 to 15 pounds on your catfish range. But if you can stand the heat and get there in July and August, <laughs> oh your, sh your shot at getting a big one is good. Yeah, what, what kind of heat are you talking about? Uh, 115, 120. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes the, you got to wear shoes because the sand on the beach looks nice, but it's very hot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Kind of reminds me, it, it's been quite a while, but I used to fish the salt and sea a lot. And of course the fishing there is just no more. It's gotten pretty bad down there. But I remember a technique we would use down there for the Corvina fishing. It was, we go there in the summer. It's called armpit fishing. You go out in water up to your armpits and everything you did, you held your arms over your head, cast out over your head, but that was the only way you could tolerate that heat. Boy, it was kind of fun when you uh, catch something, no fighting a fish that way. I remember one time I was fishing, you know, sort of close to a guy and at that time the limit I think was seven Corvina. And these were nice fish, 10, 12, 15 pounders. And this guy was catching the Corvina and then he was tying them off to, to a stringer and then tying it off to his belt loop. Well, I think he was up close to his limit and all of a sudden he gave it a, hey, hey, they're taking me away. <laughs> yeah, he probably <laughs> needed some help there to swim off with him yeah. at that point. <laughs> so well, I gave him a little help, but uh, not too smart to be out there with big fish like that that can drag you around. So, you know, when it was over, we had a good laugh, but it was a little uh, scary there for a while. <laughs> right. Well, I was using a light line rig for my bait fishing for fishing bluegill and i actually caught a uh, an 18 pound blue channel cat well wow, huh. uh, during the day well unexpectedly i did wasn't rigged for it but i worked it but let me tell you something out in that water that fish almost swam off with me is that right because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of course i didn't want to break the line i was using you know four pound tests oh boy <laughs> fish that big on four Jeez. yeah that was a, that was a, that was a chore but i got him <laughs> nice so yeah so well now you mentioned uh, bass fishing too now I know bass fishing is so big around here, all the tournaments, the high-dollar tournaments, the guys that got their $50,000 bass boats and all. I never got into that, um, but you've done some bass fishing. Tell me a little bit about that. So I have. I, um, bass, bass fishing is a lot of fun, and they're a lot of fun to catch because, of course, they're a, they're a fighting fish, especially when they break the top of the water. But I've thrown crankbaits, rubbers, fakes, flies. I've you know, tried just about everything. And for me, and probably because of my casting technique, maybe, my aim's a little off or something. I usually lose some lures in the weeds. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like to just light line a night crawler. Um, you can either either troll it, stay 20 yards away from it, um, or, or cast it in close. And I, I've always had the best luck just doing that. Small mouth and large mouth, they both. Um, yeah, so explain me, a crankbait, just what is that now? So crankbait's a, a a brand. Okay. It's um, uh, it's hard to explain. Small fish shaped. It's got a rattle in it. Okay. Big treble hook hangs off the front okay, of it. Okay. They're only about idea. an inch long. You can get them in different colors. I Some see. of them have spoons on the front for okay. depth, so you can monitor your depth. How I see. Or whether you want to top water. Okay. Yeah. So do you find that bass fishing? I know. Um, in my report earlier talking Diamond Valley Lake, they say the bass are going into the shallows to spawn. Use te different techniques to catch them at that time, or how seasonal and how much does your bass fishing change during the course of the season? So I think it depends on where they're at in their spawning season. They do shut down during the peak 
of the spawning season where spawning's the priority and not eating. They do become a lot more territorial at those points and they'll strike out of territory. But usually during spawning um, or pre-spawning, like they're saying at Diamond Valley Lake, it's a good time for that light line nightcrawler or some of those crankbaits. Um, but maybe a little harder to catch their attention during that spawning season. And then, of course, because they're spawning, if I, if I hook up, I always release. Well, great you know, idea. You want them to come back and... You want them to continue that spawn so that we have more bass next year and the right. year after. So, yeah, I think I've seen pictures of some of the big record bass, and they're, they say they're female bass during the spawn and that they'll shoot eggs out or something. And, well, it seems like a crime to, you know, get them during that time. Yeah, if you put them under that stress, it doesn't hurt the babies any. Of course, they're unhatched yet. They're still eggs. But some of the females carry quite a bit of eggs, and under that stress of that fight, they will they will release those eggs in an effort to release them before death, I think. That's my theory. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's true or not, but it makes sense. Um, I typically, when I was bass fishing, I didn't go during those seasons. Let them do their thing and come back. Um, Sport fishing, I know, um, people just don't just go out and go. (laughs) You know, they don't care whether they're spawning or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just different theories, different different ways of thinking about it i guess yeah so now on um, largemouth bass are there size minimum size limits on what you can keep there 18 inches oh that's good yeah 18 inches in length mm-hmm. um usually well i haven't I, I i i've kept a couple of largemouth bass but they're great eating fish but it's probably twice in my entire life of fishing that i've kept them it was off spawning season and they were a lot bigger than than 18 inches yeah yeah it seems like there's quite a, a catch and release ethic among the bass fishing that that's really good to see there yeah i probably shouldn't have invented that but i think every bass fisherman's done it at least once yeah <laughs> well i've got to taste <laughs> you, them once you, in a while you've got to taste it it's a good uh-huh. eating fish but but it's a great sport fish so throwing right. putting them back and letting them letting nature take its course and respawning is always always a good thing Right. So I know that bass fishing is really competitive. Some of these big dollar tournaments, I mean, you catch a big bass, you know, you might win a $50,000 tournament and then get a a million dollar worth of endorsements too. It's really big time. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was never that good at it to get into the tournaments. You know, I'd be the only guy out there with a box of night crawlers. Okay. Well, (laughs) you probably had a lot more fun at it anyway. Some of those guys get really intense. So yeah, so. yeah. I like to watch those um, those fishing shows. Those guys do get intense. They take it serious, but they produce. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So, well, now we're talking about fishing for the largemouth bass. I do know there's quite a striped bass fishery both on the Colorado River and also at our local lakes, like um, well, Diamond Valley and Lake Skinner. Do you do that um, striped bass fishing too? Yeah, some of the best. Some of the best striper fishing I ever done was right here at Lake Skinner. Oh, right in so, our backyard. Right mm-hmm. in our own backyard yeah. when they. When they're when they're biting, they're biting. They're a hot fish. They don't get, you don't get the large ones like you would at Silverwood or the Colorado River or some of the larger lakes. But boy, cut anchovies and light lined or even a whole anchovy, you know, just off the bow of the boat, and hang around the dam for a little while and. Yeah, well, thanks for letting me know that. I've gone down there a couple times, and I've kind of blanked out. But, uh, you know, you're the freshwater guy. I'm the saltwater guy, so I've got a lot to learn. So I do know my report earlier, from what I got from Lake Skinner, they said those um, striped bass down there now, they said they're good taco size. And, boy, I love fish tacos. Yeah, striper make a good uh, taco. It's a good, clean, white fish. So, Mm -hmm. 
yeah, you can't go wrong with a with a taco. Yeah. So also going back to the Colorado River, you told me about your spot where you like to go fishing. I remember a long time ago we used to fish the lower river. You know, uh, Fisher's Landing, Lake Martinez, around Laguna Dam. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gone down there? Gone down there and farther south. Okay. I've been as far south as almost the Mexico border. Is that right? So huh. down to Picacho State Park. And, oh yeah. And south. And um, yeah, there's some big fish running around down there if you like mm. if you like the catfish. Boy, it sounds like that Colorado River. You've got that place dialed in. But <laughs> tell me, if, um, going up river a little bit, have you ever done much on Lake Havasu or Lake Mojave? So I've been to Havasu. I got a great striper, um, gr- a couple of great striper catches out of Lake Havasu over a couple of different weekends. Haven't gone too far much north than that, other than Mojave Havasu. Um, like I said, I'm a southern guy. I did fish okay. Colorado River up in the state of Colorado, out Is visiting right? some family. Um, and it just had to go try it there. Sure. So we're at on the Colorado River in Colorado. So around the Grand Junction, okay. Fruta, right, Fruta West area, Slope. West Slope. Yeah. Um, yeah, great fishing there too. I mean, never a dull moment. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. Right time yeah. of year. Now, do they stock those fish, or are those native fish there? Native. Is that right? Nice. Native. Native, yeah. native catfish. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure they do some stocking along the the way. Mm-hmm. I don't think striper were were a natural-born fish to the Colorado River originally. I may, be, right? I may be wrong. Yeah. I think they were introduced. Huh, didn't know that. Yeah, so, by mankind. Yeah. Yes, let's go fishing. Yeah, so yeah, it sounds nice. Boy, that got me inspired when I head out to that river fishing there, too. So I know um, you were mentioning to me earlier, though, fishing up there on um, Lake Isabella, the Kern River, up in that area. Tell me a little bit about that. Love Lake Isabella. It's another one of my favorites. I've been going there for, gosh, 25 years or so. Um, you do have to watch the weather there and pay attention to the currents and the wind. If you're out on a boat, it does get rough, um, in the afternoons, um, done some great cat fishing from the shoreline there at night, mm-hmm. done some great bass fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but there's rabbit Island. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've always just light lined a night crawler around rabbit Island, caught some of my biggest bass there. Nice. So, yeah. So I've actually fished the Kern river up above Kernville. You know, they have a hatchery up there. They stock it. And I guess there's some natives there too. And that's some really pretty fishing up in that spot. Yeah. That's that, that whole country. As soon as you get north of Lake Isabella and get into that Kern Valley, that's, yeah, that's beautiful country. Yeah. So, well, I know, um, Last year, in the heavy snowfall year, that was pretty much unfishable. With that snow runoff they had, it was just a complete blowout up on that area of the Kern River. So far this year, it looks like it'll be a lot more fish, fishable since there's not near as much snow up there. But I remember a few years back, two of my sons and I, we did a whitewater trip on the Kern River above Kernville. And it was during a, you know one of those record snowpack years. And when we did that whitewater trip, they said at that time normally water would be running at 900 cubic feet a second it was running at 5,000 cubic feet a second it was a thrill ride i hope you had a guide you didn't do this oh oh yeah we had a guide i wouldn't have done it other oh it'd be crazy to try something like that otherwise um i know in fact it was a fourth of july weekend we did that i think the previous week there were like three fatalities there people just don't use their head they get out on an air mattress on that fast running water and um they say that the Kern River is actually one of the most dangerous rivers in the country simply because so many people go up there and they don't know what that fast-moving water can do to you. I know our guide, he saw some people with air mattresses, and he said, 
We call those things Kmart coffins. Yeah, no knock on Kmart, but yeah, he's right, Kmart coffins. Right, you don't want to mess around with fast running water anywhere. Yeah, it's so, amazing the lack of common sense when it comes to the wilderness and out in areas. Yeah, you got to respect where, it. Where yeah, you have to respect it. You got to, you know, not just that rushing, roaring current of that much volume of water moving that fast, but it's cold water. If you That's go, right. if you go in, now you're going to shock hypothermia <laughs> so. right so yeah yeah so. no uh, you know if i did it it would definitely be with a guide oh the smart way pay a few <laughs> bucks and have a good time <laughs> so and yeah. survive right so yeah now are there any other freshwater areas you've done around local or otherwise you'd like to fill the fill us in on so lake Hemet, i was at lake Hemet oh, probably okay. um, i don't know three or four weeks ago okay um it was still a little too warm they i don't think they've stocked it since november well, yeah, i don't well, think the water temperatures ever dropped low yeah. enough for them to so well what i heard on that lake Hemet is that there's only a certain allotment of trout that they have for the southland here so what they do during the winter months they stock them in the lower lakes like your skinner and diamond valley right. but later in the season when the water stays cooler up at the elevation that you know hopefully they'll start stocking at lake Hemet. you know later in the spring when the ones down below kind of stop stocking at least that's what i heard <laughs> you know for us here in anza i mean it's a beautiful lake um it was um inexpensive to go i mean for a day trip i'd highly recommend it oh it's beautiful there right here in our backyard that's right yeah 20 minutes away and you're there what else could you ask for yeah so pretty up there you know in fact i've even launched my uh, kayak up there get a good workout in and do a little kayak fishing and it's a lot of fun it's a great spot and it's so close yeah so though we were trout fishing i did end up catching a bass (laughs) white lining a nightcrawler again okay Uh, he was too small so i put him back uh we got to see the wintering bald eagles when they were there. Is that right? And that nice. was, uh, I had never seen that before here at Lake Hemet, so that was a joy. But um, fishing, like I said, the water wasn't, uh, temperatures weren't where they needed to be for the trout to start biting. So one fish, I didn't get skunked. Hey, I'm okay. Good. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, like I can say, I've never got skunked. You know, in fact, no, I didn't say I've yeah. never been skunked. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, one time I had a gag gift given to me for my boat. You have uh, flags you can fly of all the fish you've caught, you know, the different types. I had one given to me that had a skunk on it, so, <laughs> okay, it happens. Yeah. So. Lake, Lake Silverwood's another good one for bass. Okay. Um, striped bass, if you can get there early enough, if you have a boat. Um, the shad boil on the top of the water out by the spillway in the dam area. And you can dip net them, and as long as you're catching your live bait in the same body of water you're fishing in, it's legal. Okay. Don't bring outside bait. Oh, I didn't know that. Don't bring outside live bait to a freshwater lake. Okay. Get yourself a hefty fine. Maybe tossed in jail. Is that right? (laughs) You don't want to introduce a foreign species into that body of water. But um, that worked very well. Caught some nice striper there, a little bit Mm -hmm. bigger than what you might get at Skinner. Not that Skinner has small ones, but um, Silverwood's a a lot larger lake. Um. Yeah, gosh, where else have I been? Pretty much everywhere local I've tried at least once. Yeah, well, that sounds great. <laughs> I mean, I'm a saltwater guy, and you've sure opened my eyes up to some of the fishing opportunities we have around here. You really inspired me to, you know, hit the local stuff a lot more. So that's just great. So, yeah, well, well going to my neck of the woods, saltwater, what has your saltwater experience been? So I've gone uh, deep sea fishing once. I went out of Orange County on a, on a one-day trip. Uh, it was fun. I was really nervous at first because I wasn't sure if I'd if I'd get seasick or not. So I was happy that I did not. <laughs> you know that was kind of fun. Didn't want to be one of those guys. Um, uh, it w- it was good. the w- The weather was was pretty rough. The ocean, the seas were rough. 
Um, so we didn't do a whole lot of catching. But uh, the weekend or so after, um, we rented a skiff and just went out into the harbor. Had an absolute blast. Great. You know, just... Yeah, so you know your um, your bass fishing techniques since you've had that so dialed in on freshwater. I bet you'd be good at calico bass fishing. You know, you mentioned going out to Orange County. I'm assuming that's Dana Point, probably or yeah, Newport. Oh, Newport. Okay, close by there. There are some phenomenal uh, calico bass fishing out there. I think the size limit on them is a 15 inch minimum, and um, they're really good eating too. But you know, there's a real catch and release ethic on that. But um, some of these sport boats put phenomenal numbers of um, calico bass on their fish counts. And, um, you know, I, I've been in some areas. I've been down to Cedros Island in Mexico where they get 10, 12-pounders. And, oh, oh, nice. Yeah. yeah I think, I, I've read about those. I, I would definitely like to try it. I think you talked about it in one of your fishing reports, too, on your show. Uh, it definitely piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know, being, you know, I just like to fish. Yeah. Well, you know, you're fishing them <laughs> in the weeds. I mean, they hang out in the kelp, and um, you want to use something uh, weedless uh, swim bait, but they're a lot of fun. A lot of people just made a real science out of your calico bass fishing. And then again, you know, it's a real catch and release ethic. But you know, if you keep a couple eagles, they're excellent eating too. Yeah, that's what it's about. I mean, if you're going out there, mm-hmm. I mean. Um, throw a couple back, keep a couple. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's the one thing I really want to stress, too, is, um, you know, when when you go fishing, you're not trying to feed the neighborhood. Catch what you're going to eat yourself, either fresh or not keep it in the freezer too long. You know, you don't want to put these things in a freezer bag and turn them into cat food. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, you know, practice your catch and release, keep what you're going to eat, and um, just remember, freshest is always the best. So yeah. So what's what's your what's your favorite eating fish? Well, it was always tuna. I love the the yellowfin tuna. The way you know prepare it right. It's oh, it's just so good. Catch them big enough. You're just cutting them out into nice steaks. That was always my favorite until the last few summers when I went up to Alaska and caught sockeye salmon. <laughs> now a sockeye salmon is not near as big as a tuna. I mean you know you're catching them four to seven pounders. Um, if you get up there during a, a sockeye run up a river, it's just crazy, insane fishing. But when you see um, salmon in a store, if it's fresh cod, well, like a lot of your farm salmon now, they put artificial color in it. Yeah, which, they'll color it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, a sockeye salmon, that is the most orange, red, I don't know how to describe it, fluorescent chartreuse color. It's just beautiful to look at, and it tastes so good, too. So, um even though I love my tuna, I think wild-caught sockeye salmon, it's my favorite now. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to go with you. I love salmon, too. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting you bring that up because if you've ever fished salmon, those natural salmon, and seen that color of that meat, mm-hmm. you know when you're at the grocery store, hey, that stuff's been dyed. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's so, not the color. <laughs> right. So, Well, you know, farm fishing, you know, that's a different subject, too, but... Um, you know, there's such a demand for seafood in the world today that, you know, you, we can't just wild catch them all or we deplete the resource. So, you know, fish farming, it's just a fact of life. It's here and, you know, it's practiced sustainable. Uh, in the United States, I know some European countries, they practice good, sustainable, you know, ecologically sound fish farming. So, you know, it's a fact of life. It's here to stay. But well, I'd sure rather catch it myself, though. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with fish farming. I mean, when the demand's that high, you can't meet it. Right, exactly. So, yeah. And it tastes good. Sure. <laughs> Everybody likes it. Yeah, so. Well, tell me, if you um, 
had a dream trip to do, if, if, if time and money was no factor, what would be your dream fishing trip you'd like to do on the bucket list trip? Gosh, I think there would be two. Okay. Can I have two? Oh, okay. You, you look like you're rolling in money. I, I'll give you All two. Right. He's going to give me two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The first one I would think uh, or would be uh, probably somewhere up around Alaska on one of those salmon runs. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to go up and catch a couple of big ones and, mm-hmm. and uh, eat them, of course. Right. Um, the other one would be I'd love to go on a deep sea, a multiple day deep sea trip and maybe do some shark fishing or, you know, something big. Maybe swordfish. Right, some, some. swordfish, that's like on the uh, holy grail of fish. Have you done it? <laughs> uh, a lot of guys have done it. Very few have succeeded at it. Right. Yeah. yeah I, just, I hear it's really the toughest. But Yeah. Yeah. They're so elusive, and, and they're extremely brutal and tough to catch, too. It's just, uh, I mean, I know guys that are professional, um, you know, the big sport game fishermen and all that. Right. That have not caught a swordfish. But... I don't know. A few days out deep sea fishing, mm-hmm. even if I saw a whale swim by, that, oh, would, that yeah. would make my trip. That's what I, you know, I've done the multi-day trips. I've done up to 10-day trips out of San Diego, and believe me, there's something about it when you get on that sport boat. And, you know, we're not talking about going on some bare bones, you know, something. These sport boats are nice. I mean, they've I've been on some of them that have galleys that look like any restaurant. You know, you have nice, um, nice cabins, all the comforts and everything. So, you know, they're really comfortable, but... There's something about these boats when you're going out of San Diego and you know you're leaving the cell phone, the computer behind. You see Point Loma fading in the distance, and you think, "Oh golly!" And you know, another ten days from now, I'll see it back here again. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a whole frame of mind. I yeah. think you'd really like something I'm like that. I'm going to relax for ten days. Right? Yeah, so, that would be great. Yeah. So, well, you ought to um, start off someday doing an overnight trip just to get a feel for it. You know? Right. You know, I, not too many people start out doing a ten day trip. No, I don't think I would start with ten days. Right. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think I'd go on an overnight or, or right. Get a feel for it. Get a, get a feel for yeah, it. Yeah. So, and you know, you mentioned what you're going to see out there too. You realize there's been kind of a residential pod of blue whales not too far off our own coast here. And I've seen those things. And, you know, that is the biggest life on this earth. And when you see those things breach and the body keeps going and going, you think, where's the tail? Does it ever end? Right. It's just such a, you know, you're on the great aquarium out there. It's it's the whole total experience, you know. You, yeah, I love the ocean. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try your freshwater fishing you've told me about. you got to get out and do my yeah, saltwater fishing Yeah, I'm going to have to try some saltwater fishing. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to have to do that again. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, tell me... Um, well, I wouldn't be starting fishing since I do a lot of salt and some freshwater, but if a person was going to just start fishing as such, what would be your suggestion just to, you know, get the feet wet doing it? You know, I'd keep it local. I'd go somewhere local where it was going to be um, easy to get to and mm-hmm. you could get there early. I, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of money on tackle. I, you know, you don't need a, a $200 reel for your first time out. They may, You can get some inexpensive rod and reel combo kits and... You know, just a selected few pieces of tackle, depending on what you're going to fish for. You know, pick up a jar of um, any kind of pre-made cheese bait and some treble hooks and grab a rod and reel and go up here to Lake Hemet, you know, while it's still winter and see if you can catch a trout. Yeah. Never get discouraged because fishing is a is a patience man sport, as you know. That's right. So mm-hmm. if you don't catch one today, doesn't mean you won't catch one tomorrow. Right. And, you know, you got to get a feel for it. And before long... Uh, once you get that fever, your tackle box just fills up with everything possibly imaginable. Oh, boy, you just hit a spot with me here. So uh, I heard there's a, a saying that these fishing, man, um, 
manufacturers, tackle manufacturers, they don't make stuff to attract fish. They make it to attract fishermen. Yeah, that's right. Anytime yeah. you got to put a back brace on to lift your tackle box, you know you've probably got a little too much gear in there. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, every time my wife comes into my workshop, she goes, don't you have enough fishing rods? I say, well, don't you have enough shoes? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah right. That's a, yeah, so. That starts an argument. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's something about us guys. You know, it seems like uh, I'll be going to this big outdoor show over the course of this next week. I work with a... A radio show down there on it but um i'll tell you my wallet just jumps out of my pocket when i get to those things they love it when i walk in the door but <laughs> yeah, that's just yeah. the, the nature of it so but you're right about that you don't have to break the bank to go out and have a good time and, no um, absolutely yeah, not so, yeah. yeah so in fact i know the saltwater fishing even the half day boats they've got rental gear available for five or ten dollars for the trip yeah that's a good point uh, that's what i did when i went on my uh, three-quarter day trip is I just rented every. I didn't. I don't own any saltwater equipment. Everything I have is freshwater, so I just rented everything. They provided everything. I didn't need anything but myself and a fishing license. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's and right. It, They'll it make it easy on you. Yeah. That, that's the way to start out. Find out what you're comfortable using, and you know you don't have to break the bank on the first fishing trip. But if you stay in it like we do, you will break your bank. Yep. Got to warn you. Disclaimer: <laughs> If you catch the fever, we are not responsible. <laughs> that okay? Because <laughs> you're going to spend some money. Yeah. So if we have if we have time, I I got a question I'd like to ask you. Sure. Um, fishing line. Do you have a preference in type? Not I'm not necessarily brand. I know us no. freshwater guys. There are so many varieties of line out there from uh, the woven news spider lines and thing all this weird stuff they've come up with and me traditionally i just go back to the you know like if i'm trout fishing a, a two pound test a monofilament and i'm gone right you know i don't goof with different colors or mm-hmm. or threads or you know what's it what is it the same in salt water or do you yeah so well i think it's just what we were just talking about there's a lot of manufacturers out there that want to sell you something right right <laughs> i know the um thing now if you really get into the saltwater fishing in big big tuna fishing and all where you need line capacity what they're going to now is your spectra this spectra line you can have 100 pound test line that's got the diameter of maybe 20 pound mono oh nice yeah so so to me it's line capacity so there is a so there is a benefit to it right and another thing about spectra is expensive you know you can fill up a saltwater reel and spend 75 dollars to fill it up but spectra is a forever line as long oh, gotcha. as you take care of it, I mean, you know, don't store so, it by your fireplace or something. So it's not like monofilament. If it's, right. out, if it's out on your reel and it's in the garage, you know, all summer long, change it. you've got to mm-hmm. change that line right. before you go out. Yeah. Well, what yeah. I like to do, some guys, they like to use this uh, straight spectrum, and they use just a short top shot, maybe three feet long of fluorocarbon just for the invisibility of it. But the thing about Makes this sense. spectra, there's no give to it. And if you don't know how to fish it, it will beat you up. I mean, <laughs> it really will. So what I like to do, I I have spectra on my reels for the line capacity, but I put a mono monofilament top shot on it. And I like to have as much mono on there as my longest cast. Because nice. I still like to cast the monofilament as opposed to... Spectra, if you're not good with spectra, you don't want to get a backlash with spectra. <laughs> right, if right. that happens on a boat, the deckhands will not like you very much so but i find that and then um you know the specter it's all my my reel forever and then when i need to change the top shot you know um 20 yards or so monofilament and i got the fresh top shot and i can change the size maybe uh, they're biting on 20 but bigger fish are around so 
do a 50 pound top shot right right that's kind of what i like to do yeah that sounds good yeah i'll try that in my saltwater adventure well john i sure sure enjoyed having you on the show you covered a lot of ground that i've never done and sure perked my interest for some freshwater fishing and um, maybe look forward to getting on that rock show again with you sometime soon too yeah dave you're welcome anytime thanks for having me on the fishing show as well um yeah i've learned a lot about saltwater as well i enjoy sharing my fishing stories as fishing guys do yeah, you know, sharing fishing stories, and some of them are even true. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Well, I'd like to go into my fishing tip for the week. You know, fishing is a sport just like any other. Now, if you were a golfer, you probably go like to go out on the driving range and practice just hitting the golf ball a lot. If you're a baseball player, you like to go down to the batting cage, and you like to take all the swings you can to be a good hitter. If you're a basketball player, you like to go out there on the court and just practice shooting shooting hoops. Now, if you're a fisherman, have you ever thought about your casting ability, that maybe you should be practicing that too? Well, I think that during the wintertime or any time that you're not able to go fishing, why let that equipment sit around? Why don't you get that rod and reel out, tile something light onto it, maybe a a lure without any hooks, and set, set a target out there. You want to wet your line first because dry line doesn't cast good. But just practice your casting. Just like a golfer would practice driving range, batting, shooting baskets, practice your casting. Now, once you do it with a little bit heavier and get a lot better at it, uh, scale down the size of what you're casting out there. Get it down to where maybe you just clip a clothespin on there the size of a small anchovy and practice casting that. So that's my fishing tip. Practice your casting. Well, are you hungry? It's recipe time. I've got a recipe here. It's one of our favorites that we have in our house. Actually, when I first started doing this show about a year ago, I gave this recipe. But just two nights ago, we I cooked this one up again, and it was so good, I thought, maybe it's time to get it out there again. This is a spicy mustard tuna with a creamy avocado vinaigrette spread on it. First of all, I like to start with yellowfin tuna, get a nice filet, Make, cut it up into some nice steaks. Remember, you always want to wrap your fish in paper towels. You want to get all that juice out of it. Keep wrapping it in paper towels until you've got a really dry fillet of fish. Now, you want to maybe salt and pepper this slightly. Then, what I like to do in a bowl, I get a half a cup of mustard. I add some hot sauce to it, something like tapatio, some um, habanero. Just put as much in there as to your taste, as much heat as you can stand, and a little pepper. I mix this up really good, then I set it aside. Okay, then for my spread, I like to get two avocados. I mash them up with a fork, sprinkle a little bit of garlic on it. Then I add a couple tablespoons of mayonnaise to it. I like using the olive oil-based mayonnaise. Mix this up real good. I like to only put as much mayonnaise in there, enough to make it smooth and creamy, but don't put in so much that you, you lose the green color of the avocado. I put in a teaspoon of sugar, and then I add four tablespoons of rice vinegar. Now mix this up real well, and this is going to be your topping. Now you coat your tuna with this spicy mustard, and you go ahead and get your frying pan hot, get some olive oil in it, and I like to pan sear that tuna. Remember, you don't want to overcook your fish. You want that light little bit of slight rareness in the middle of your tuna. When you're done with it, you want to serve this. I like to put some avocado or some uh, tomatoes alongside of it. Then use this spread on the top. 
the uh, creamy avocado. It kind of complements the spiciness of the mustard tuna. And this is just one of our favorite recipes that we have in our house. Well, John, I sure enjoyed having you in here on the show with me. You know, talking fishing, talking rock and roll. Those, those are two of my favorite subjects. Yeah, Dave, I, I really appreciate you inviting me on the show to, uh, today. And, uh, of course, you're welcome onto the rock show anytime you want to come. Well, I'll look forward to doing that. And um, you got me all inspired to go fishing. I got the boat. Let's get together and go sometime. Yeah, that sounds good. Can we leave now? 